On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to this episode of the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I'm your host. In today's episode, our CEO, Trent Cockrum, is joined by Hospice of the Piedmont's Vice President of Clinical Services, Kat Gibson, for a caregiving conversation that explores what can happen when caregivers develop a habit of regularly putting their own needs aside due to the pressing caregiving responsibilities around them. This lack of self-care can evolve over time into an unhealthy or even detrimental pattern of self-neglect. Together, Trent and Kat will explore ways to recognize signs of caregiver self-neglect and practical strategies for reversing this cycle by incorporating self-care. Let's get started. Kat, welcome back. It's been a while since you've been with me. It's so good to have you again. Um, and yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, we'll just jump right in. Um, you know, over the last several episodes, we've been talking about caregivers and caregiver specific needs. And we've spent a long time talking about, you know, a lot of really um, self-care things that caregivers can do um, either to prepare themselves uh, to be a caregiver or uh, to ensure that they are um, set up for great caregiving success. You know, one of the things I don't think that we've really talked about, though, um, is in great detail, which I want to explore a little bit with you today, is do caregivers ever put their needs ahead of the needs of others? Do they? Or is it oftentimes in reverse, that they're putting the needs of others ahead of their own needs? Absolutely. I feel like the default is the caregiver is choosing their loved one's needs over themselves. Um, We are um, a lot of times in a space where what we do is so important for our loved one who is dependent on us for whatever that need may be. And so we oftentimes will put our need on the back burner and say, I'll get to it later, or um, I'm going to do this now, and then I'll come back to myself and whatever that need may look like. Um, And I think that is quite often where our caregivers find themselves, that their needs come first. They can't do it on their own. They need me, and I can do myself later. And then whether they get to it or not is kind of up you know, for the question. Now, Kat, you are a a social worker. In fact, you are a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I suspect there's a real term for that. I mean, what is it called? Absolutely. So we have um, generally self-neglect is kind of the term. Um, Folks choose someone else's needs over their own and whether that's purposeful or kind of naturally, um, they are choosing to neglect their own needs to serve someone else. Yeah. You know, as I listen to you're just describing what self-neglect actually is, I think about any number of friends of mine who have kids who, you know, make a lot of decisions sometimes about what's in the best interest of their kids. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it means that they're going to put themselves in a position to have to be in two or three different places at one time, but it's, you know, what's in the best interest for their, for their kids. I mean, 
Talk to me a little bit about how that parallels in, you know, caring for an adult, for example. Is there any parallel at all? There absolutely is a a parallel to that. I think what you just explained with um, parents who are navigating young children, that that is quite often their first experience in choosing someone else's needs over their own. And as we grow older and generally transition into a caregiver role for maybe our aging parents, maybe even a spouse later in life, um, they're kind of transitioning that early learned habit of I'm going to take care of them before I take care of me. And it just kind of snowballs over the course of time and that that learned instinct is absolutely mimicked later in life when they're in that caregiver role. Yeah, so thanks thanks for that. I think oftentimes we get sort of caught up in thinking about oh gosh, you know, the the bookends of life look really different when in reality they're they're far more common than we likely give them credit to be and so we can you know learn a lot from our from our uh, from our life's experiences when we were much younger and had children as, you know, and, and apply that to a caregiving situation. So, you know, I suspect though, that people who are actively involved in caregiving, there may be some signs that we would look for or that you would look for as a, you know, qualified professional that, you know, what are things that tips that you can give to folks who might be listening to this who are thinking, you know, my mom or my dad or my neighbor or my friend is actively caring for someone. And I I wonder if they're taking care of themselves. I mean, what are some things that they can look for to, you know, actually know whether or not their, their suspicions are true or not? There are certainly a lot of signs of what we would call caregiver burnout or um, uh, just general caregiver stress. Um, so when you're juggling all of these things, there are, absolutely some um, signs that either the individual themselves may notice, but also others around them. So you might find that the caregiver is withdrawing from family and friends. Maybe they're not going um, to family functions or going out to to lunch or to dinner with our friends that may be asked on a routine basis. Um, They're not going to church or other community events that they normally would attend. feelings of helplessness or hopelessness. You know, I am the only one in this situation. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands the stress that this is causing. So those feelings can absolutely bubble up. Um, feeling of irritability, maybe your um, your sense of stability is not quite as um, stable as you would like it to be. Um, you are kind of on edge and have a short fuse, something that might not have triggered you in the past might do so now. You might notice a change in appetite or sleep. So you're eating more, eating less, sleeping more, sleeping less, and that can absolutely um, have an impact on your mood, your physical energy level, your fatigue. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of go into the caregiver role that a lot of people don't realize can impact across your entire well-being. Right. And so is it, you know, does it, 
I guess this happens over a period of time. I think the pace in which the onset occurs definitely depends on the situation at hand. Is this a longer trajectory? We get a diagnosis, we have a couple of months of slight changes over the course of time, or is this a sudden event like a car accident? And now there's a huge shift in, Mm -hmm. you know, the need for caregiving. So I definitely feel like that depends on the situation that the caregiver finds themselves in. Yeah. And so, you know, some of the things we've talked about in past episodes, uh, you know, relate to accepting help, um, setting realistic goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these are all sort of self-care strategies to help avoid the pitfalls of self-neglect. Can you talk a little bit about those specifically? Sure. I think accepting help, like you just shared, is one of the hardest things that people um, can kind of adjust to. Um, People are in a very vulnerable situation at this point, and they're very used to being independent and handling all of the things, but now maybe they're in a new situation and they don't know how to navigate certain aspects of this new role. And so when folks are reaching out and saying, hey, let me know what I can do to help, and you kind of just shy away and say, oh, it's okay, we're doing all right, I don't really need anything, Well, if you kind of think about just a small list of tasks that if somebody were to come to you and say, hey, can I help? Then you have something tangibly right there. You can say, actually, this is something simple that you can help me with. It might not be big, but it's something that comes off of your plate and actually can help. Um, So being able to do that is is, um, super important. And then setting realistic goals is another one you just shared. Um, you know, taking larger tasks and splitting them down into smaller tasks can make them feel a little less overwhelming. Um, so you've heard the phrase, how do you eat an elephant just one right. time, right? And so right. if there's a larger task, see if there's a way to break it down to do smaller things at a time, whether that's one little thing a day Or can you do one task and then share another part of the task with someone else so that you're sharing that load? So what's the, I think those are all great thoughts. And, you know, it makes me wonder then, you know, as people find themselves really sort of in the throes of caregiving and they are, you know, perhaps finding themselves um, in a position of putting the needs of others before the, or the needs of the one before their own needs you know, are there, are there, is there a perception of barriers that, that the caregiver might sort of conceptualize in their head that, you know, well, I I need to do this. I need to do these other tasks before I do these things for me. And, and what are, what is the, what is the barrier for that for them? Sure. There are absolutely Um, what I would consider internal barriers and external barriers. You have that that thought in your head and say, my loved one is more important. I can take care of them first and I'll get to me later. But the reality is, do you always get to you later? Mm -hmm. You never have the energy left to do the things that you need to do by the time you're done with that care task. Right. And so, you know, I imagine that caregivers in that situation who are sort of headed down a path of, of, self-neglect sort of, you know, 
there's I'm curious to know your thoughts on this as a, as a social worker about, you know, their feelings of sort of guilt as it relates to, you know, I shouldn't take care of myself, you know, putting myself in, in, in their shoes. I shouldn't take care of myself because that seems really selfish. And this is not a time in my life where I feel as though I can be selfish. I've got to give so selflessly to this other person whom I care for so very deeply I mean, can you at least just talk about that for just a little bit? We see that so often in the work that we do that, um, you know, our caregivers are actually telling us, you know, I can't put myself first. That is not how my, you know, soul can function. You know, I, I cannot, I do feel guilty. I feel like I am letting my loved one down. If I choose to do something for myself, if I choose to take a 15 minute walk in the neighborhood, if I choose to go and get my hair done, if I choose to go to lunch with a friend or to the movies, if I'm doing something that takes me away from my caregiving duties, I'm being selfish and I cannot make that choice. Um, but it is so important because people can find themselves in very um, tricky and um, troubling situations when they aren't taking those steps to take care of themselves. Um, you know, we um, so often what we consider, you know, pour out of our own cup into someone else. And if we don't refill our own cup, then it runs dry and we have nothing to pull from. So we have to find that balance, that give and take. I can give this to you today, but I also have to give this to myself today. Yeah. So really sort of what we're talking about today for any of our listeners who, you know, either are are involved actively in caregiving or know someone who is, it is really about inspiring them to 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 give themselves permission or or extend permission to somebody else to say this is really important that you take care of yourself um because if you don't then you you know you're doing a disservice to two people not just one person um i mean that's something that we really haven't talked about yet is sort of the wholeness of what it means to, you know, be actively involved in caregiving because it's, you, you've got to take care of yourself so that you're well enough to take care of someone else. And when you don't take care of yourself, then you really sort of did a, done a disservice to, to both parties involved in this. Right. Exactly. I mean, right. Yeah. So, I mean, can you, can you think about um, something in, you know, that you've experienced um, either in your work or personally that, you know, sort of really illustrates some of these things that we're talking about, you know, for folks who are listening. Sure. Um, you know, I can think of a, a patient experience that we have had recently um, where we served a patient and um, the spouse, um, his wife was the sole caregiver. Um, they did have, two children that lived out of state, so were not readily available for hands-on care, although they were very um, loving and supportive by phone from afar, um, which we oftentimes will find. Um, Yeah, that's not an unusual situation at all. No, absolutely not. Um, We find that quite often, actually. Um, So about two months in hospice services, Um, The spouse started to show some signs of fatigue and caregiver breakdown. Um, You know, her um, 
timing with tasks seemed to slow down a little bit. You know, her sparkle and her personality seemed to dim slightly that our staff noticed. And so they were very encouraging and providing a lot of education and support options to this caregiver so that she could take care of herself as they noticed that slight um, adjustment. And um, despite all of that support and education, um, we got a phone call that the wife ended up in the hospital for some medical concerns and they were going to admit her. And And she was the sole caregiver, right? She was the sole caregiver. And so we were working with this wife who is now in the hospital, the patient who is now home and homebound and by himself, and this family, these you know two children who were out of state and trying to figure out what we could do to support them. Um, ultimately, we were able to bring him into our um, inpatient unit for what we would consider an emergency respite stay. Um, while the family was able to coordinate and figure out what those next steps looked like. However, we absolutely understand that a lot of our listeners may not have the opportunity or the resource like hospice quite yet in their lives. And so we have um, certainly the blessing of being able to support this family and get them where they needed to be and the support that they needed. But we acknowledge that a lot of our folks in the community don't have these readily available resources and a quick fix. And so when we're talking about self-care and making sure that you're finding that balance to maintain a healthy well-being during your you know, caregiver role, this is why it's so important because if you if you don't take the time to kind of rebuild yourself as you're maintaining this caregiver role, you could end up in a situation like this, you know, like this spouse and in the hospital. And now we're trying to scramble and figure out how we're going to provide care to your loved one. Yeah. And I mean, that is sort of a bittersweet story, right? I mean, I'm sad that she found herself in a, in a compromising um, uh, uh, position because she had sort of neglected her own, her own self needs. Um, and fortunate, however, that she was connected to an organization that has a lot of resources that we are that we at Hospice of the Piedmont are able to help, um, you know, scale up for her in a in a very short period of time. But you're right, you know, there are many people who are actively involved in caregiving that this happens to that don't have these supportive wraparound services that we may offer as an organization to individuals who qualify for our services. Um, and in in that situation, the the scramble, as you call it, I think is is the term you use, looks really different because then if you're one state, one county, a continent away, you've got to figure out how you get back here as quickly as you possibly can and sort of figure out how you piecemeal it together. You know, what what you described, while you know, difficult to think about, really was sort of you know, a great illustration of how we as an organization respond to these types of situations, but how important it is nevertheless for caregivers at any stage to really actively engage in self-care. Um, because for people who aren't connected with us, that that the outcome of that look may have looked really differently. 
Mm-hmm. I think too, um, you know, thinking about maintaining your self care and trying to, you know, stay as healthy and, you know, well nourished and slept and all of that as you can, but also if you're in a situation where you have limited local supports, um, you know, talking with your family and making a plan, hey, if this were to happen, how quickly, what's possible, what's not, you know, really thinking, okay, if this were to occur, what would our step be? And we might have to have a plan A, B, and C because we're not really sure how to plan for an unexpected event. But to at least have the conversation, I think is super helpful. Hi, friends. I want to quickly pause our conversation and take a moment to encourage you to learn more about our monthly gathering for local caregivers, CarePoint. This group, formed by Hospice of the Piedmont and Hospice of Randolph, provides an opportunity for local caregivers to connect with and encourage one another. This group is one way to incorporate self-care into your caregiving routine. CarePoint provides a safe, supportive environment where caregivers can discuss their struggles and questions associated with caregiving, while also offering insights and suggestions to fellow caregivers. To learn more about CarePoint, access the link in today's show notes or visit www.hospiceofthepiedmont.org forward slash CarePoint. Now let's get back to the conversation. So let me ask you this question. When, when folks may try to approach this sort of conversation with someone they know, which I, I think we can both acknowledge would be a really delicate situation. I mean, it's hard to perhaps say to someone that you know really well, look, I don't really think you're taking good care of yourself. I mean, I, I imagine that from the caregiver's perspective, they may not receive that information exceptionally well. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that and and maybe even offer just a couple of thoughts on, you know, how to how to uh, how to how to engage in that conversation, though we have a whole podcast about, you know, having difficult conversations. But and maybe this falls into that. But I mean, can you just offer just a couple of thoughts about that? Sure. I think if you have the opportunity to share maybe a relatable experience, maybe you have been a caregiver yourself and you can say, hey, I absolutely understand all of the moving parts of this process and how lonely sometimes it can feel and how stressful it can feel, you know, kind of lending that ear and saying, hey, I've been there and I know that you may not want help right now or you may not need help right now, but knowing that there are are people out here to support you um, and do simple tasks or just be a listening ear to you, I think, would be super helpful. Um, For those that may not have that ability to have a relatable story, which may actually be, um, you know, a thing, we encourage you to just approach it with a, a mindset that you want to be supportive, but not judgmental or not trying to tell people how to do things differently. Um, you know, we want to make sure that the message that we're sending is of love and kindness and not, um, you know, you're not doing that the right way or um, making them feel like they're missing something. Yeah. Support and empathy 
feel really different than criticism and complaint, right? And so I could see how it would be really easy. And, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking about, you know, someone uh, that may be in this situation and, you know, I might approach it to say, um, gosh, you know, when, when, when your husband first got sick, we, I, I heard from you really regularly. I don't hear from you much anymore. You know, can you tell me, you know, what's going on and sort of really op- give an invitation, an open invitation to have a dialogue that maybe they weren't anticipating having, um, you know, but be mindful to not take that on yourself and own, right. Be, be a supportive resource. I think that's, I think that's sort of what we're talking a little bit about here. Yeah. And I think acknowledging to you that not everybody is open and talking about their feelings and their struggles and their potential downfalls. Um, so just just being that encourager and, you know, letting them know, hey, if you're ever in a place where you just need to talk or you have a question or you need guidance on, you know, to a resource, you know, please let me know. I'll be happy to, you know, to be there. Right. So going back really quickly, just to close the loop on the on the case that you talked about, um, what ended up happening? So, um, you know, the patient came into our inpatient respite stay. Um, they get a, a generally a five night stay. The wife was able to come home on day four. So the patient was still under our care. Um, and had another, the wife had another day or so to kind of recover before the patient came home. Um, the daughter, um, who lived in Virginia was able to come, um, to the home of the parents and was there to stay for two weeks while the wife continued to fully recover and kind of help with the patient care and, all of the the chores and things around the house to to really be of support. Um, After the daughter returned home, um, the wife was feeling much better, kind of, for the lack of a better term, learned her lesson Mm -hmm. and really engaged and listened to the hospice team and um, actually increased the support from the hospice team. She did allow a volunteer to then come into the home once a week um, so she was able to get out of the home and, and do something that she enjoyed doing, um, which was really something that she was hesitant to in the beginning. She said, you know, I really want to be here and I don't want to have to step away. But she realized how important that little short period of time every week was to her. Yeah, and that was super helpful. So let me ask you, you know she had a lead up where she was really exhausting herself and depleting all her self resources. Um, and then she had a really unfortunate medical issue that happened to her that put her in the hospital. She came home. Um, and I mean, it sounds as though the remainder of her caregiving experience was wildly different than it was before. Um, yeah. I mean, is that fair? I think so. You know, a lot of times people don't realize where they've gotten themselves into until they're there and they look back and go, Oh, maybe this was avoidable. And so, you know, like you said, it was an unfortunate situation. She did end up in the hospital, but she was able to take that experience and say, I'm going to do everything that I can so that I don't get back into that situation. Right. Right. That's a truly powerful story. I think um, for our listeners. So, you know, 
that leads me sort of to another question. Um, you know, clearly in in her situation, uh, she was sort of, you know, uh, sort of on the the hamster wheel, right? And in, in the beginning, and she was really running just as fast as she could. Um, and without sort of stopping to take care of herself. Um, and, and then, and then it changed for her following an, you know, an unfortunate, um, series of events, but it, it begs the question, I think, you know, in your experience, do you, do you often see it exactly as you described it in this case, or do you see it often as sort of a cyclical sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, experience that people move from not taking care of themselves to taking care of themselves and by, and back and forth. Is it cyclical? I mean, and maybe it spans both. I don't know. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it, it could really go either way. And there are a lot of um, components that I feel could change the course of, of that. Um, you know, folks who have a lot of local support, whether that be family, friends, have access to community resources um, and are connected with those. I feel like those have a higher chance of, you know, just having a one-time situation and acknowledging, hey, I do have these things that can lean on. What can I do to avoid going back to that space? Um, but then we've got folks who maybe are a caregiver for a very long time and mm -hmm. those resources kind of ebb and flow. Maybe, you know, family that's local are working and raising young children and their schedules are so busy that maybe they're only available during the winter months when sports aren't in or, you know, that can absolutely change the support that you have. Um, but also, you know, there are a lot of factors in the actual caregiving needs and how they evolve over time. You know, are you just going by and doing the laundry and um, checking in on your loved one or are you providing 24 hour care? And right. as that kind of moves along the um, the medical trajectory, you know, the, the physical needs that they're requiring, I think your needs kind of adjust and how in tune are you to those changes? You know, now I'm doing all of these things instead of just that. I can't take care of myself the same way I did before because my needs or the things that I'm doing for my loved one are, are more significant. So I need to kind of amp up what I'm doing for myself. And are they acknowledging that? Yeah. And so some of those same things, I suppose, are things that that people, whether they're, you know, a, a trained medical professional or not, can sort of really be attuned to to begin to think about, gosh, I think they're not taking good care of themselves. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I think the example just that I gave before was, you know, gosh, when this first happened, I used to hear from you a lot and I don't hear from you anymore. So you, they've become far more withdrawn. Um, you know, maybe they used to do a lot of things, you know, in the yard, for example, that they no longer do now. Um, and it's not because they're of an inability. It's often just 
because they feel as though they have this responsibility for this other person. I mean, are there other things, you know, that come to mind immediately for you that you can impart to our listeners that say, you know, if, if, if these are the things that you're seeing, it might be reasonable to have a, have a conversation about this with someone you care about. Yeah, I think um, acknowledging any mood shifts. So are you um, overly um, sad or, you know, irritable? We did talk about that a little bit earlier. You know, are you quick to react, whereas before maybe you weren't? Um, are you withdrawing to a point where you are a recluse? You're not going anywhere. You're, you know, Instacarting and you're, you know, not ever leaving the house, um, except maybe to check the mailbox at the end of the driveway. Um, you know, I think those are really the big things, um, mood shifts and, um, and just your overall activity outside of your caregiver role. What do those look like? And what what are the reasons you're choosing? Is it because you are physically, your presence is physically needed in the home with your loved one? Or is it because you feel guilty or you don't have the energy um, because you've already expelled all of that doing your caregiver duties? Right. You know, Kat, uh, one of the things that uh, I know I've heard you and others talk about before is um, that an acknowledgement that nobody is a perfect caregiver. Um, and so, you know, we all want to do the right things by the people whom we care whom, for whom we care very deeply. Um, but but realizing that we're not going to get everything right every day. I mean, you know, this, this pursuit of perfection in and of itself is a flawed construct, right? Sure. And, and that the same implies, uh, applies for caregiving, you know? Um, and so are there just a couple things, 10 seconds or so that you can think about that are um, interventions that you would recommend to caregivers to, to sort of begin breaking that cycle of self-neglect? Yeah, I would suggest, you know, if you can identify a 15 minute window at a minimum, certainly if you can do more, absolutely do that. But just as little of 15 minutes of reading a book, sitting outside and listening to nature, if it's, you know, the weather permits, of course, um, you know, listening to music or, um, you know, some people are very um, rooted in their spirituality and so reading their Bible or whatever, um, you know, book is related, um, motivational texts or things of that nature, things that are going to um, kind of motivate you or um, get you back into a, a, a good headspace to right. kind of return to your caregiver role. Well, Kat, I really appreciate this. You know, we're fortunate as an organization to be connected with uh, a a lot of other community organizations, um, including Senior Resources of Guilford and Randolph Senior Adults Association, among others. Every uh, every, uh, county in North Carolina has a senior resources organization that supports a variety of different needs of caregivers. And we're fortunate to have two top-notch organizations as community partners. I know for, for us at Hospice of the Piedmont and Hospice of Randolph, you know, there are also other uh, support um, uh, support groups too, um, disease-specific support groups. I know you and I have talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even just your own sort of 
family and uh, people who are around you, um, people you go to church with, people whom you work with, people whom you trust um, in some way um, that can help you really um, find the support that you need. Anything you want to share as we leave to conversation today? Well, I really do appreciate the time that um, we've had together today to talk about this really important topic. Um, I think, you know, my driving home um, little nugget is really allowing yourself to be as important as the person that you're caring for. Yeah. You are no less of um, an, an importance than, than your caregiver um, role. And I think you taking, even if it is just that 15 minutes a day, um, if you can do 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening, then, you know, that I think is just enough to kind of tip you over and, and get you the energy and um, the strength to get through the next day. Yeah. Kat, thank you so much. I, I'm going to sum up all the things that we talked about with just, just a few words. And that I think is that live well, be well, stay well. Kat, thank you so very much for being with me today. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the E-Series. Hey, have you ever wondered what it may be like to volunteer with a hospice organization? Or are you curious what volunteers even do? Tune in to our next episode when I'll be joined by Hospice of the Piedmont's volunteer coordinators for a conversation unpacking volunteer services and the important work members of our community do for Hospice of the Piedmont patients, families, and staff. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll receive a notification as each future episode publishes. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.